Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. As disaster responders, we find and endorse those products that we know will help you out in the field. If you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to l3harris.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, I am so excited. It is 2021. I feel like the calendar is just mocking us at this point, reminding us that 2020 did one. Uh, that's, that's a bad pun. It's a dad pun. But hey, we're so excited because we're starting this year off really, really strong with my good new friend, Todd DeVoe. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's my pleasure. And you're allowed to do those now, those bad dad jokes, because <laughs> you're, you're officially a dad. So. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so it's really good to have you on here. Just a couple days ago, uh, we did a live session with, um, you know, with I came on to your show, EM Weekly. So for all my listeners out there, EM Weekly, it's a podcast, of course. So check it out on LinkedIn where they do it live. But you can also uh, subscribe, go to your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you subscribe to EM Weekly. Um, I, I know of them very well. If you're an emergency management, you probably do too. So we co- collaborated, we connected and said, hey, let's let's do a couple episodes together. And on that episode, we talked all about 2020, the lessons learned, top 10 disasters. It was a lot of fun and uh, there was a lot left on the table. So Todd, we got to do this again. Absolutely. Yeah. So for this episode though, starting off with January, first episode, January 1st, and people are going to be probably tuning in the next several days as they you know, come back from the holiday. And so we just want to start off really, really strong by talking about emergency management-centric goals and uh, career goals even. Because it's, man, 2020 just sucked. And 2021, which is, again, that terrible pun mocking us, we want to do, uh, we, we want to hit this year off strong. So... Just from your own experience as a guy who's been, you know, looking at this for so long, what would you say to those emergency managers who are like, man, okay, like I'm so sick of last year. I, I got to start off this year straight. Uh, what would you do? What would you say? Well, okay. First of all, I got to say coming purely from the crisis management, emergency management world, 2021 had its challenges, but man, did we work, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I mean, if you're in California, you had wildfires. I mean, actually, fix it. Let me rephrase that. If you're in Western United States, you had wildfires. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. I mean, we had hurricanes, we had tornadoes, we had floods, we had ice storms, we had. I mean, it was there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everything is there, and explosions and and whatnot, right? So my point is, is like, yeah. I mean, this is kind of what 
this is sort of what we wanted, not not what we wanted to happen, mm. but we like like we want to have those challenges in in the sense of of what is our metal, right? I mean, can we really do this job? And what I think happened in 2020 is I think that people finally figured out what the hell emergency managers really are. You know, um, I, I always say it's easy to go down the street and say, hey, I'm a firefighter and everybody knows what a firefighter does. And I'm a cop. Everybody knows what a cop does. But when you say an emergency manager, you have to, you know, have a three page description of exactly <laughs> what you do. Are you a doomsday prepper? No, I am not a doomsday <laughs> prepper. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. I, I do tell people, because like people know what FEMA is, right? Mm. Um, and I would tell people, well, we're like FEMA, but instead of being national, we're just here locally for you as a local mm. emergency manager. So, so, but it, it's, it's definitely something different, right? You know, I think yeah. people understand it. Um, you're starting to see emergency management embraced um, at, not just at the local and state level, uh, but also at the uh, businesses are bringing them in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen, I mean, Tesla hired an emergency manager. Uh, you know, Netflix has an emergency manager, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it's interesting to see that corporations are taking a look at what we do. And I think on our show, on my show, on Ian Weekly, you, you made a really good point, and, I, and I've said this before, too, but you're absolutely spot on. You know, I, first of all, let me say, I'm not in favor of changing the name, right? Because I just think it would be too much of a, a hassle for that matter. But I think understanding that as emergency managers, maybe we're wrong on the title or on the term, because if we say emergency coordinator, that is really what we do, right? We mm-hmm. coordinate things. So. Yeah, yeah. So okay. what my, my, my thing is, so on that, on when I said that to you on your show, um, we are emergency coordinators, but whoever came up with the term emergency manager was a genius because when you hear emergency manager, you think authority and mer- emergency managers most of the time don't have that legal authority. Maybe the FCO does from the president. Uh, maybe a state director does if it's been delegated, um, but most of the time it is coordination, but because it's emergency manager, it gives us that weight and that, um, like gravitas. I don't know what, it, like that, that presence of mind for people to pay attention. And I think it's more of a call out for us to say, Hey, we need to take this, uh, as don't screw this up because they'll figure it out. Right. Like they right. have to know that we're taking this really, really seriously. And when we have a misstep, Everybody harps on it, like, oh, okay. A couple of years ago, we we said there would be a a snowstorm in New York City, right? And um, snowstorm totally missed Manhattan. So everyone was like, why do we even like shut everything down, you know? And it's like, right. okay, like we really got to be on top of it and educate the public that we're, you know, we are using imperfect data as as we talked about earlier. Um, so we don't need to get into that too much, but yeah, that's a great call out. Yeah. But one other thing, though, right, is that I don't think that using the term emergency manager is wrong for the title, like I said. Mm. But the but the point is, is when you say what we do, right? And so it's kind of like saying the, you know, the vice president of something or even like the director of or, or the FEMA administrator or whatever, right? Those are titles, right? Mm-hmm. But what we do on a daily basis is we coordinate the actions. And we've seen this happen for other things, right? And, and some people saw this as being a mission creep. I'm, 
I'm, I'm prefacing this purposely this way, right? So, and I, I'll tell you what it is in a second. So hold, <laughs> hold on to your hats, everybody. Right. So, so, so people saw this as being mission creep, right? But think about what we do as coordinators, right? So even even for like large scale fires and other disasters, right? You got the fire department coming in, you got the police department coming in, you got public works coming in, you got public health coming in, you got you know, uh, the city attorney coming in, you got all these other entities coming in to do things. And, and abs- absolutely, we coordinate that circus, right? Mm-hmm. We coordinate that circus. And so when Seattle asked emergency management to take the hard look and the hard actions on their homeless population, people are like, oh, that was mission creep. And I'm like, mm, is it? Nope. Right? Is it? Because it's a human tragedy. It's a slow-moving yet truly a, 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 an emergency, right? A bet that's slow moving, right? Just like a, a drought would be, mm-hmm. right? But then what we do best is put services into place that coordinate that event. And whether it being, um, you know, that it's going to be a long-term one, two, three year process, you know, that's, you know, we can, we can work that part of it out. But really to get the ball rolling, I, I think, I think, that was a smart move for the city of Seattle to ask the emergency management section to take a hard look at that and start coordinating it. Yeah. Really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a man. So you kind of gave me like a, like I'm starting to like twitch my eye a little bit here, uh, (laughs) because in 2015, uh, I was getting my master's and, uh, there was a, um, associate professor who came in, and she asked a question. She basically asked us to write a report on if a town of 110,000 people has 10% homelessness, what do you do during a hurricane? And I thought 11, you know, 11,000 people, like, let's pump the brakes here for a second. Um, you're, I mean, what do you do? Like, everyone's going to say buses, right? Buses, messaging, community leaders. I said, screw that. And I started looking at states who had been attacking homelessness. And um, I actually found the state of Utah. State of Utah said chronic homelessness is homeless for a year. And they said, okay, that's, that's a mental health disorder. And they looked at all the cases that cost the state uh, for hospital visits and for, um, for jail. And they said, okay, if we take this, this dollar amount and we partner with... Um, you know, we can get some donations from large corporations. They built long-term housing. And in their long-term housing, they have a, a social worker, they have medical, and um, it's all about job aid. So it's the entire idea is that like, hey, this is a medical issue. Let's get these people off the street. And they attacked it for like three or four years doing that. And by year five, year six, year seven, year after year, they have 0% chronic homelessness in um, you know, effective rate of, of Utah. And so that's what I wrote my paper on. I, I was like, Hey, like other States are figuring this out. You don't have to worry about the hurricane. Well, she tried to fail my paper. And <laughs> so I guess I didn't answer the question, but, um, like it's just a, it is a good call out. Um, slow onset disasters versus immediate onset disasters. The whole world woke up to this idea of slow onset disasters, but 2021 is going to see a lot of uh, immediate onset disasters. It's the nature of our field. 
And you just said like, that's kind of, that's kind of our stick, right? Like that's kind of what we, what we went in for. So if I'm getting into the field and I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to join my County EOC or I'm going to join the state EOC, whatever internship. Um, what would be some of the like number one, two, three, four things that you think that they need to do right off the bat? Ooh, that's a good question. So if I talk long enough, I come up with a good question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm thinking like, as far as somebody coming in fresh out of college, um, looking for that internship. And I I highly recommend a couple things. Number one is um, go into area. And and I'm going to get back to your original question here in a second, but I want to, I want to circle around here for a second. Go into areas where you feel um, that you are weak, mm. right? Um, now it sounds counterintuitive, right? Because you're supposed to go to your strengths and you go in there and show how great of a, whatever you are. And that, and they're going to offer you a, that, that dream job of $250,000 right after your internship. Right. Well, yeah, That's the it? likelihood of that, yeah. <laughs> so the likelihood of, of that happening is, is probably, you know, not there. Now you might get a job offer, uh, you know, there, that's a possibility, but you're still going to start at the bottom, right? But if you go in and you tell, and if, and if the person who you're interning with is worth their salt, right? And you tell them, hey, I'm strong in plan writing, right? I, I get that. I've done that a hundred times. But I'm like logistics is just one of those things that um, I really would like to learn about, right? And I want to learn about logistics. They're going to they're gonna put you in there and they should put them, you know, with, your, with the person who knows it. And you're going to learn that skill. And then you come out a stronger candidate for the next job, right? I like uh, that. If communi- you know, if communications is your bad spot. Go into that and go in and tell them, this is what I want to learn, right? Because otherwise, you're going to go in there and you're going to be with something that you know to do pretty well. And then you're going to end up making coffee and you're going to, what you might do anyway, by the way, just don't, don't, don't be offended <laughs> by that. <laughs> don't be offended by that. And I'll tell you a funny, funny quick story. I, I, I was, uh, I had a, a, a colonel <clears throat> for full bird colonel, um, that was, uh, that I worked for and he's talking about working at the Pentagon when he was, um, uh, uh, mid, mid officer, like a, I think it was a major when he was there hmm. and I go, Oh, I said, wow, it's amazing. It's the Pentagon. What'd you do at the Pentagon? He goes, I, I got lots of coffee because there's lots of generals and I was just nobody there and I made lots of coffee. Right. And you're thinking, Oh, you're a major in the Marine Corps you probably were something pretty, you know, yeah, get a little bit of weight. Person. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. So, <laughs> so if you're, if you are in a position where they ask you to make coffee now, if that's all you're doing, that's BS. And that's a, that's a really bad place to be an internet, but mm. you might have to do some of those. My point is you might have to do a little bit of grunt work, understand that, but go in there with the idea that you're going to learn. Right. And yeah. ask to learn, ask questions. Don't be like the, you don't have to be like the nuisance guy. Right, but ask questions. Have them write, write, written down if you're in the middle of something. Um, find your mentor that's there and go through. Like, why is this process being done? And I think that if you can show that you want to learn, you might actually get a job offer off of that because mm. then you're trainable. You know what I mean? If you go in thinking that you're the the God's gift of emergency management, you're just there to do time. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> you know. Uh, I am Go God's gift to emergency management, though, so that's the problem. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> no, seriously, though, like uh, my 
my number, I'm trying to think. So with all the female core teams that would go in there, um, I would always give them like this, like this speech when they got there. And my speech was, we're always going to, to ask you to do things ethically, morally, and um, straightforward. And as long as we stay within that, do whatever we tell you to do. Mm-hmm. You, you might not like it. It might be monotonous. It might be anything. But if you do that, more and more people will notice you as a hard worker and will give you, um, you know, accolades, will help you out. And I have brought this up a couple times. He's actually been on the show, Cameron Starrett. He was a FEMA Corps team lead. And his responsibility was basically just to focus on his team. He really wasn't there for us. And uh, he, but, but at the same time, like he just was soaking in everything. He was doing everything he was asked, uh, you know, ahead of time. And by like second, third week, he was asking questions, as you noted. And uh, like I basically, within, I don't know, maybe a week or two of that, I just like, I don't care that you're a team lead. Like you're doing, you're, you're working for me. And I kept him close hold for, you know, another six months because he worked really, really hard. And he walked out of there and he got a job in the Peace Corps. And now he's back in FEMA with this like really great job. And I think it's because people like me and other people just saw like how hard he worked. And now he has a great job. And it took, you know, two and a half years. And I think that's, I think that's the other lesson too, is like be patient. Mm. Um, just kind of roll with the punches and... Um, Practice, practice coordination. Practice being like a team player. So, yeah, um, I want to I want to go back to that copy comment um, because I know this kind of drives people crazy. You want to say that, and they get some people get that. Like, I don't make, I don't drink coffee. I'm not going to make it. Okay, it's fine. But then you're not a team player because there's others that do. And I tell you something. Even as somebody who was running a shop, I, I would make coffee every morning. Not only just because I drank it, but because I I, I make coffee. I didn't have a problem doing it. You know what I mean? And and it goes back to those little things, right? It goes back to those little things. If I if I'm asking somebody to make photocopies, right? It's not I'm not asking you to do something that's a menial task, even though you might think it's a menial task. It's we're in the middle of doing something and that means like somebody else on the line who's who's doing some work would have to get up and make those photocopies and yeah. not be able to keep doing their job. And and so you know, we did. We see this with like our CERT program, our Community Emergency Response Team programs, and those people come in with a smile on their face to volunteer to do things, right? And and they know because of the small things that they're doing, they're they're actually helping out with that big picture of of the response, right? And they're yeah. taking people that would have been on the line or off the line doing this job, putting it back on the line. So that's, that's what you need to do. And, and I'm saying this, you know, my point about the small things is that you need to be able to happily and learn from those, those small things because there's tasks that need to be done. Right. Mm. Those are things that still, somebody's going to have to do it. Yeah. You know? And so those tasks that need to be done and be the person who, who steps up and, and, and is happily to do those small tasks. It's the, you, you keep on bringing up coffee. I don't drink coffee, and I think it smells like manure. I don't know why anybody likes coffee. But I had a boss in D.C. who I mean, it drove me crazy if he did not have coffee because he he was just, you know, it was too much for him. So, like, like three times a day, I'd go get him coffee. Like, it's just like, dude, please drink your coffee. Like, it, it, like I don't care if it smells bad. I don't care. Just, like, I need you to, I need you to pump the brakes here. 
on like the whole antsy thing. So like I was, you know, whatever. So like, I think, uh, at the end of the day, like, it doesn't really matter like what the, the task is, right. Whether it's getting coffee, like I did for my boss in DC, mostly because it made my life easier, but like, um, yeah, like somebody will always have to do it, whether it's, it's printing a bunch of copies for something or whatever. And I would, I would call out that that helps emergency management move forward. Every single person in their role, um, man, I, I interviewed a really, really nice woman who, uh, actually I didn't interview her. She was one of my staff members who was complaining that a disability held her back from being like a, a real tactical level responder. And like I had to explain to her, I'm like, what you did for the last three weeks impacted 2 million people's lives. You know, like that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you are, you are part of this system. So like whatever your role is, be part of that role. Um, yeah. So like the, the last, I mean, we're going to get off this topic here real fast. The last thing though, for like goal setting and new job or new you, new year, new me, um, the stroke of genius moment was when I got my first job right out of college. Um, I, I made sure that in the contract or at least that they are aware of it, that I said, I want to get a FEMA cert. I was in DC. I want to go for a FEMA certification once a month or at least some kind of certification once a month, whether that was online training that I could do at work or actually went to headquarters or went to Fredericksburg, whatever. I want to do that every month. And I was there for two years and, you know, at least 24 certs later, I made sure that I did that. And like, to your point, um, I, I attacked the areas that I didn't really know very well. I had an emergency management degree. I had no idea how to write an emergency plan. Mm. I learned, I learned a lot about theory, you know, I learned about, uh, you know, um, you know, law and what I could do and what I couldn't do, but I couldn't write an emergency plan. And so that's, that's what I focused on. Um, but like, okay. So we, we talked about goals a little bit. We talked about like how to set yourself up and how to keep learning. And I think that applies to all levels of a career. I think you would agree on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, if you're not learning every day. You are, are, are wasting away. Well, that's um, why we had you on, right? <laughs> so we could keep learning from Todd DeVoe. Yeah. I, I read, um, I mean, I know that listeners can't see, but behind my, myself is this bookshelf is overflowing with books. My wife was just telling me the other day that I need to buy a couple more bookshelves to, to make it look neat. Um, but uh, I did a challenge this year with Ian Weekly where it was 52 books, 52 weeks, or for those that are really busy, uh, 12 months, 12 books, mm. right? And uh, so the idea was, and you know what? If you failed, if you didn't reach that goal, that's fine. Um, but the idea was, is, is what books are you reading? And, and at the end, you know, um, I, I actually made the challenge. That, like, a couple books I read, if you want to cheat, for lack of a better term, were smaller, you know, 150 page books. I don't know if they count or not, but I count. That counts. Whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah, Every week? Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it's a chapter of like one book. It depends on which way you look at it. But no, the, so, so the long story is, is that you, the reading part of it and the, and the idea of, of challenging yourself to think, and I'm an active reader, so I read with a pencil and a pen or whatever, and I mark and write notes, and I do all this stuff because, um, you, you know, I, I'll lecture on these too. So I mean, I teach. 
that's another aspect of it too. I, I, I teach, so I, that's why yeah. I have to keep up. But the, the thing is, is that reading for me isn't just about reading, right? It's about learning new aspects of stuff. You know, um, when it comes to this pandemic, um, you know, I was reading pandemic books uh, before it was cool, right? You know, yeah. uh, some of my books, like Germs on my bookshelf. Um, I have, I read uh, three books on the 1918 flu, um, you know, because it was something I was concerned about um, from a long time, right? That this was, you know, this didn't take any emergency manager worth their salt um, by surprise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we all kind of had an idea that there was going to be a pandemic of, and you, you worked on the pandemic plan for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, we knew that there was going to be a pandemic of some sort. I mean, we talked about it, we planned for it, we, we drilled it, you know? Um, and, and so this, this pandemic that's coming through shouldn't have shocked anybody. Now it shocked a lot of politicians, right. And it shocked a lot of people who weren't paying attention, but, um, um, but having that knowledge, um, in your back pocket is, is, is critical. And so continuously learning, uh, continuously learning. If, if you are in your last year of your, of the job, or you're getting ready to retire, you still need to learn. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Never still check out. Because, right. Because at some point, you know, like Al Stanley, who's one of the most respected emergency managers in the, the world right now, uh, retired, but he's still doing emergency management stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. he's and he's learning all the time. You know, you know um, Rodney Craig Melsick. Rod- uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I was so lucky to work for him. He did a, I worked for him right before he retired. Um, he's one of my mentors still. I call him once a week still. Um, and... Every single time I call him, he's on his computer researching or, or learning something new. And I think that is why his mind is so incredibly sharp. It's just like he just won't stop. Like, that's just not, that's not in his nature, you know? You should write every day or at least one, at least every week. He's writing this book. He's going to love the fact that I'm talking. He's, he, he was writing a, a play or, or a movie script, and he turned it into a book about his time in the Peace Corps in Africa in, like, the 60s. And that guy has some crazy stories. And so we we're all really excited for this book to come out. So when that comes out, I'll probably send you a copy um, yeah. and I'll let you have it. So you had you read 50, 52 books, 52 weeks, right? Yeah. All right. Top three. If I if I was listening, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy read so many books. Where, where do I start? What do you read? Wow. Um it's weird because I've read stuff that probably isn't emergency management specific. Mm. I just finished reading a book, which is my 52nd book uh, of the year um, called stories. Wait, you're going to love this. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, there we go. The fake applause. 52 weeks. All right. What is it called? It's called stories that stick. Stories that stick. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, don't 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 confuse that with stories that stink. No, story stories stories that stick. Found the dad. And, yeah. And and, <laughs> um, and it's it's about it's a true this woman who writes who does story storytelling for a living basically. Mm-hmm. Um, talks about how when you want to reach an audience, it's not about the information that you're sharing necessarily, right? Because you could go up and I could tell you all the information in the world and it's, you're like, okay, great. But it's that story, right? It's that story that goes along with the information. And she talks about um, healthcare 
um, county health organization in Phoenix where they're raising money. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's the county health organization. The people who use the county health in most states, most counties are, are the underprivileged, right? So they don't have a lot of money to donate to this, to these things. And so you, you get the, you know, the rich and the wealthy, you know, and the well connected into the room and you try to ask them to write a checkbook and uh, write a check to the, to the organization and the, and the, you tell your why and it's like, well, the why is simple, right? We're helping people. And they're like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to help people. Here's, here's a couple bucks, right? But to tell the story and, and the, the CEO uh, gets up and tells the story of, of, you know, why he is doing what he's doing and, and how it impacted him and impacted other people, the story of the sick girl or whatever, how that comes into play. And, and it, it, it opened the checkbooks and people said, holy smoke, there's a real why behind this, not just we're helping. There's, we put a person to the problem, you know? And, and so as emergency managers, we go back to what we talked about earlier. Like people know what a firefighter does or what a police officer does, but we don't know what emergency managers do. And if you could have your story uh, of, and the story you're talking about, the, the lady who, you know, felt that, you know, she was held back because she had some sort of disability that she couldn't be in the field and doing stuff, but she's actually helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of people at one swipe. You know, having that story of going, why am I here? What do we do? And how do we impact your daily life, right? When we talk about CERT programs and getting volunteers to come out and give up their time and their money in some cases mm-hmm. to put time in a, in a disaster zone where they could be, where they're cold or miserable, so they could be at home watching it on TV like everybody else. Um, and you're being able to tell a story of how that really is allowing firefighter to be on the front lines to, to put that fire to save lives. That you're impacting of being a certain volunteer who's serving food um, back in the cafeteria is allowing a firefighter to be on the front line to save a home. Right? That's powerful stuff. Right? And stories that stick is, 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 is key. And that's, that's one that's of the cool. ones. And if you, you know, that's one I, I really love. Um, the other one I, I read this year that I really thought was great was The Ostrich Paradox. And uh, that one right there um, was about how people react to disasters. Right? Yeah, I think. And, what, what year did that come out? Uh, it's, a, it's a couple years old. Yeah, yeah I think I've read. I, I think I've like read through, like um, briefly went through that book. I don't know. It's behind me somewhere. I, I could pull it out of the bookshelf. I'll, you I'll do need you know, to get but, a bigger bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah your wife's right again yeah <laughs> oh they always are right i know man. right don't, oh don't ever you don't ever try to argue with them they're, they're always right um and then uh, and then the other one that i read that i really like and and it's another older book um i've read a couple of other books but i'm and this really has twisted my mind to tell you the truth so i'm a resilience guy i really think the idea of disaster resilience is is, is impactful mm. and if we can get cities to be disaster resilient so i bought in to the 100 resilient cities oh my gosh yep. was, yeah i thought that was great i'm like oh man this is good stuff really kind of bummed out the rockefeller uh, uh foundation you know stop stop doing it yeah they were supposed to build but, uh oyster reefs uh to protect uh against like another sandy in new york yeah, that was their yeah, big they, project yeah I mean, you know, you talk about mangroves that are being torn up and stuff like this, and you know, in the in the southeast, you know, for the hurricanes, and there's a lot of cool stuff that they were doing and their ideas, and I'm like, yeah, resiliency is worth that. I mean, I even did a TED talk on resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I believe in it, I still do, right? But what twisted my head on this is the idea of resiliency is one thing, but the 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 idea of robustness or anti fragile, 
right? And the idea of anti-fragility is, is where it comes in. And I read mm. Taleb's Anti-Fragile, a buddy of mine, uh, Dr. Randy Collins. He just became a PhD, and so I always have to call him Dr. Randy Collins. <laughs> so, Good call. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, he turned me on to it, and, uh, um, yeah, I, I read it, and I reread it. Uh, again, underlined oh, the whole nine yards, Nicholas Club, mm. Anti-Fragile. Uh, I think those are the top three books that I really got a lot out of uh, this year. That's cool. Um, I'll have to check those out. Yeah, I, I think I, I've run, I've run by the uh, ostrich in the sand one. Um, the so that the name disaster tough, like that's um, obviously the name of the podcast, but it's also the mantra for um, my small business because, like, you're gonna like harp on me right now. The professor is gonna jump out at me, but I am, I am. Uh, how do I say this? You remember how on our other podcast we were talking about how words matter? Yeah. Resiliency is a, a really, really popular word in our industry. I say it all the time, even. Even now, I still say it. But I don't want to be resilient. I don't want to bounce back. I don't want to have to bounce back. I want to be able to punch that hurricane right in the face and say, like, we're good. It's not a disaster until people are impacted. And so it's like, it's resiliency and I, I still use resiliency and resiliency has its place and you can't mitigate everything. And so of course you need to be resilient, but I also think we need to work much, much, much better on mitigation. And, um, you know, 2011, Japan, their earthquake, 9.0 earthquake was not an issue because of building codes. 6.0 earthquake uh, just the other day in Croatia. Croatia, I think three days ago, already seven deaths. We really, you know, we pray for the people out there who are having to deal with that. And of course, responders are already like really impacted region. Um, but building codes and building codes matter. So that's why we do the, the, the tough um, on our podcast is just like that reminder that like, let's stop it from coming a disaster. Well, let's, let's talk about this for a couple of seconds because I really think it's important. And especially when we talk about what emergency management can really do. And I have been, this is one of my things I'm going to soapbox about a little bit, is that when you buy a house or you want to build a house, I should say, um, you need to go get your plans checked at the city planner uh, and you need to get the fire marshal to check off on your plan. Well, why, why shouldn't we have emergency management be part of that loop. Right? I 100% one, agree. One extra step. One extra step. Right? You know, you think about uh, in Hurricane Harvey, you know, all, but all, but the, a good majority of the people who were flooded, what were they built in? They were built in a reservoir. And it said it on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, it said it on the map. So it wasn't, again, shocker. What happens <laughs> during, during rain? Reservoirs fill up with water. You I'm, know? <laughs> I'm from Ohio. There's a famous joke. I'm sure every state does this, but there's a there's a story about uh, Ohio State uh, guy and a guy from Ohio and a guy from Michigan are on the beach at the same day, and um, they both at the exact same time see something shiny like gold in the sand. And they both run and they both grab it at the exact same time, thinking it's a piece of gold, and um, it was a magic lamp. And the genie comes out and he goes, oh, "I hate when this happens. You don't get three wishes because both people touch at the same time. You both get one wish." 
guy from Michigan goes, fine, I want a 100-foot wall built completely around the state of Michigan. I never want to see anybody from Ohio again. And the genie says, boom, good, 100-foot wall. And the guy from Ohio sits there for a second and he goes, I don't want to see anybody from Michigan ever, ever again either. Fill it with water. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. There's like... <laughs> people, don't, people don't understand the impact of water and how strong water is. Oh, man. man, we could talk about that forever. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, you and I, we need to do another episode on terrorism. We need to do another episode on how politics impact. And then you and I really need to go at it on the difference between uh, being resilient um, and why that's good and what's bad. Another one, another controversial one that you'll love in about 10 seconds is CEM. Uh. Are you a fan of CEM or are you not? Oh, am I am I asking you something too controversial? Is that like the? No, 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 nothing's too controversial. And, Good. and I everything, I, and I've said this multiple times. I've, I've been on the record on on this. I, I have my CEM, right? Okay. I, I am a CEM, and I did this because I ran my mouth, um, and and I have to live by what I say, mm-hmm. right? And and so here it is, is that we don't have we don't have the perfect answer right now. This And CEM is the closest thing that we have. And I think IEM is doing a decent job of trying to make CEM relevant. And it's what we have. And there's some serious flaws in the way CEM is, was given. And, and like I say this and, and again, I'm, I'm, Probably people are going to be pissed at me, but I know I shouldn't have even asked you. I might have to edit this out. This is a, this no, is no. a big deal for a, a people. This is like no, no, this, if you love it, you really love it. You know. Well, well, right, and this is what I'm about to say is like the test is easy. You know, um, yes. the, the it's, it's the process is a pain in the ass. Yes. You, you know, um, but the test is easy. You, you know, and if you if you can't pass the test, I mean, you really shouldn't really be on the field. You, you know. Yeah, uh, um, it is so incredibly basic. It, it for those who don't really know what a, a certified emergency manager is from IAEM, I don't even International Association of Emergency Management. Um, it is. Uh, I've done the practice test. I don't have my CEM, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. But I went through there, and I was like, if you take ICS, most of which are online, most of which are free, free from FEMA. Do 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 do. Click and you know, common sense, you'll, you'll get 90% answers. Um, that's like the test. Like, what's the difference between, um, you know, a unified command versus a unity of command? Like, oh my gosh. And, and, it's, and it's designed that way. Like, they tell you what, I mean, if you if they, they have like a study guide, they tell you what class to take online, right? No, but like, it should be harder. If I'm going to be, if like the cert, this is my thing about the cert. It sounds so funny. It should be harder. They don't count college degrees so all those guys who get guys and girls who get a bachelor's degree or master's degree by the which i i have two it doesn't count and they don't they don't name the level of disasters that you've been at it is totally different i had a guy uh usar expert on um, on the show uh he was at haiti 9-11 oklahoma city bombing his level of understanding of response is different than even mine and I think that should be called out. But like my big things are Rodney Melsick does not have a CEM. 
Craig Fugate, I don't think he has a CEM. Brock Long, no. Uh, Kevin Hannes, no. Uh, Bob Fenton, no. Um, so, like, these, like, really, really big names in our industry, it's it's because they did response, and in the response, they were able to to prove that they, they knew what they were doing. I, I got my CEM because I said we needed to do something, and I believe that. Man, and I, and I and I and I couldn't be the guy who says, "Hey, we need to do something," and mm. did nothing. You know what I mean? You just and, pin and so, my whole life against me because I'm all about eighty percent solution is enough. And I just told you that I need a hundred percent solution before I do it. So now you're going to make me go get my CEM. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, like, and and here's the other thing too, right? With the, with the CEM, and then I say this with love, right? Tough love but with love nonetheless is that we were talking the other day on LinkedIn, they're talking about, should we um, have licenses like say the like EMT paramedic or, you know, mm. whatever uh, doctor's license for Christ's sake. Right. Should we have licensing for emergency managers? And so mm. here's the thing is that when you start putting licensing in, right, whether it's the bar exam, whether it's your doctor's exam, whether it's your nursing bar, like I mean, like beauty salons have to have licenses, right? It's a it's a barrier to entry, right? Mm. Um, and people go, "What's minimum standards?" And I go, "Okay, well, I, I, I sure, right? Minimum standards. It's still a barrier to entry, right? So now you have people who uh, go to school, you know, get their degree in in whatever." Um, and they come out and they want to be an emergency manager. They have to do X amount of time as an intern or whatever, you know, whatever time I'm, I'm making this up as I go along yeah, here. Yeah. Right. And then, and then that's what the, allows them to sit for their, uh, for their license before they could be uh, an emergency manager. Okay. That's, that's great. Right. That's, that's all cool. Um, but the problem is, is then how do you get that experience? Right. Mm. Because that now you have, you know, on the other end of it, though, is you, you have people who um, are doing this weirdness, like where they become a police chief, right? You know, and then they retire as chief of police at whatever police department, you know, and they, you know, they go, okay, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm going to go become an emergency manager. Oh, my gosh. I've heard that you, so you, much. Yep. Uh, you know, and uh, so, yeah, so then you have that and you're like, well, now you're not even qualified. And, and, and so, so there has to be something in between, right? There has to be something in between. If some guy, and I'll tell you, and this, oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Oh, I'm glad I asked you this question. This is fire, so, man. This is good. <laughs> so I, I, and, I, and I talked about this before. There was an article in Police One Magazine, and it was like, go and take some ICS courses. Here they are. Like They listed them off on, on the thing. And you, too, can hang your shingle as an emergency manager when you retire. Mm. Right. And it's like, holy crap, law enforcement, firefighting, um, you know, EMS. I come from EMS. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm you know, putting my mouth, my foot in my mouth a little bit here. I'll tell you how, how I got involved in emergency management here in a second so I can kind of mm -hmm. clarify this. But, but the, all those things, they're completely different from what emergency management does. Yep. Right. The reason why I love Rock Long's story is because he graduated from college and became an emergency manager and never day one ran lights as high professionally hmm. right he never went ran what lights and sirens oh okay yeah yeah, right? yeah you know what i mean he's he's a professional emergency manager 
you know, woo, that's woo. what he's done. That's going to be my new soundbite on here. Yeah. All right. So, so now I was working towards, I was working as a, as a, uh, in, in EMS and I started doing, um, uh, medical logistics for some of the larger fires that we had here, uh, in California. And I really fell in love with the, the, uh, the, the, that side of it, you know? And then I, I went and said, Oh crap, that's what I want to do. I want to do emergency management. And so mm-hmm. I changed, I did a career change mid, mid, mid career. Right. Wow. I didn't wait till the end till I retired Yeah. and then started doing emergency management. I, I did it mid career. I said, okay, I, this is my new goal is to do emergency management. There's, you know? there's, I have no problem with somebody who uh, was a, a police chief or a fire chief or was from ENS, some kind of tactical level response, military included. There's a lot of elements within those things that you can take from fire, especially in a large-scale fire response. They do ICS better than anybody. However, you are, uh, it is, you're, you're now seeing a generational change in an emergency managers who have degrees, who, who, who approach it analytically, Versus from a place of authority. And this is where first responders get really held up in emergency management. They, they go in there and they say, you know, well, I've always done it this way. Well, uh, if, you're, if you're a firefighter, you can go and be hired as an emergency manager for a facility and you'll be really, really great at evacuations. And if you're in, if you're in police, uh, you know, you'll be really, really good at tactical level response and active shooter response. And an emergency manager needs to both understand how those systems work and also to be able to, to work on more of a, a strategic level. But you will always break at tactics. So, like, understanding tactics is great as a foundation, but it does not qualify you for leading a large-scale response because you don't know how to coordinate. You're too used to taking trying to take control, Right. There's two things I want to say in that as well, is that especially where emergency management lives plays a, plays a role. So if you have a person who, where a city has emergency management in the police department or the fire department, which in California, there's a lot of that. Yep. The, the person who is in the police department is going to be Homeland Security, law enforcement centric. Mm-hmm. The person who is in the fire department is going to be wildland fire, fire prevention centric. Yeah, maybe right? flooding. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that's yeah. still part of it, right? Yeah, flooding. That's gonna be part of it. Um, you, you know, maybe even MCI mass casualties type stuff. You know what I mean? So, so that's. I mean, they're they're gonna do that. They're gonna do it well, yeah. right? They're gonna do that. They're gonna do it well. So the the thing is too is going back to that whole coordination thing. Mm-hmm. When you're in the EOC, what I've seen happen time and time again from the EOC is somebody in the EOC trying to give tactical direction to the incident command post or the, or the, or the incident commander in the field. <laughs> and, and that's a no, no, right? We don't yeah. give tactics. We don't give tactical direction to them. Now it's hard for those who have been in the field, especially chiefs mm-hmm. who, who understand and to pick up the phone and, and come from that 35,000, foot level and saying, Hey, why aren't you putting, you know, the water on structure a, not structure B, 
not an understanding that structure B has like magnesium in it or something like that, that if the water goes onto it, it's going to, yeah. you know, make the fire worse. You know what I mean? So, so we, we, we have to be able to support those people that are in the field. Yeah. Right. We have to be able to give them all the support in the world that they need, whether it's additional resources, whatever we're doing, you know, whatever, whatever they want. Yeah. Right. But we should never, ever be given tactics from, from the EOC. Yeah, I and I I actually a hundred percent agree, um, all, all the way, and like t- continuing that thought process, emergency managers on the other side, also, uh, once they start thinking that they understand response at the tactical level, they also don't understand, because you're an emergency manager. Oh man, I I had this funny, like uh, pet peeve. I'm getting like that angry face. I'm not even angry. Uh, <laughs> It's a, it's a small pet peeve. <laughs> there we go. There's a happy face. Uh, when FEMA people who are in operations, which is really planning 2.0, let's be real, and they, they go around, and when we go out to disasters, they're like, they say, I'm an operator. What? I'm an operator. No, like you are not taking out bad guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of those two. Yeah. Like... They like I'm a federal operator. No, no, dude, you're you're sitting in an armchair. Um, but at the same time, uh, like my my big thing is emergency managers have to get out. Whether it's doing being a cert member, which I was a cert instructor, so a big fan there, or volunteering at the local level, somewhere to get out actually in the mud and meet survivors. Man, that's like that's why it's gold when fire and police EMS. A military are able to learn those skills of emergency management because all of a sudden they have worked so much with survivors and they can understand big picture. And just like the other way around, if you're an emergency manager and you're so focused on big picture, you might not know how the grass blows. You know, you can see the world, but you don't know how the grass blows. So you got to get down there. Um, I don't even know that's a phrase, but I just kind of went for it. It is now. Yeah. Boom. So, like that's what I would say. Like get out there and like start like oh man, this is like full circle. If you don't know something very, very well, go if you're in the planning section, go logistics, go to other go communications, learn something. If you're a first responder, recognize that you have a lot of really great skills and we appreciate everything you do. Hardcore, like hats off to you. You are not a great emergency manager yet. If you're Correct. an emergency manager, you are very, very good. If you're qualified, probably more than CEM, uh, but you are qualified at strategic. Get out there in the field. You're not qualified to tip your hat or you know to hang your hat with these first responders. So it goes both both ways, and we have to integrate Absolutely. more. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll tell you something. What I, where I think that where we can have that that crossover, especially as emergency management, is is getting into. Uh, the incident command post and doing some work at that level. Mm. Right. And you can still Absolutely. do planning. You can still do logistics. You can still do staging. You can do all this stuff, you know, um, and, and work down at the command post, uh, yep. for a shift or two, you know what I mean? Um, and then the other thing too, is, as you're right, I mean, uh, I tell my students all the time to volunteer and either it's volunteering with the Red Cross, whether you're a cert team, whether it's team Rubicon, whether it's, you know, the, Southern Baptist uh, food that that they come out and do great jobs. Yeah, you know, um, whatever. You, Get you know, out there. Disaster response agencies. There's a bunch of other volunteer groups that you can go out there. I mean, heck, if you live in the rural areas, be a volunteer firefighter. 
you, you know what I mean? Go, go and do it. And I think there is definitely some great crossover. I mean, I started as a volunteer firefighter. I went into EMS. I did that. My goal in life was to do this, that, that lights and sirens for the rest of my life and be 50 years old to be retired. Um, but mm. uh, you know, uh, it, it, the, the idea of doing, um, uh, emergency management is just, uh, I got a fire underneath my, my butt about it and, yeah. uh, and I've, I've done it and I fell in love with it. But you know, the idea here is, is yeah, you should do both. Um, and again, if you're an emergency manager only, and if you've only done time in the, you know, working in, in the planning section or whatever of a big state agency, uh, don't walk into a planning section of, of a bunch of firefighters and start telling them how to do their plan. You, mm. you will not last very long um, on that in that meeting. So I, my, this will probably wrap up the last question then, um, because we, we've hit on a lot of really good things here. Um, so my pitch has been that emergency managers need response experience. And that's kind of like what you're saying, but because of DHS and DHS department of Homeland security for those outside the U S um, DHS has included, uh, or FEMA's within DHS, right. And they included, uh, prevention, which is more of a law enforcement aspect of the, the five mission areas, right? So a few cities, uh, I call out um, uh, Pennsylvania, um, like I think Philadelphia does this, a, a couple other places do this, where now the emergency managers, because a public's perception is first responder, they're actually now told to carry a weapon. If there's an active shooter and you're that emergency manager for a corporation or whatever, um, they're, they're pushing more and more to that, um, to that realm. What do you think about that? Um, I think that's, I think that's dangerous in a sense. I, I, I am all pro if you are somebody who's trained in weapons. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. that's something that you're going to do now. Here's the thing, right? If you don't understand the application of, of when to use that firearm, you're going to cause yourself a lot of grief because you can't just, if you're not protecting yourself, you're not protecting somebody who's right next to you from a bad guy. You, you, and you're chasing, you're running down the street chasing them. Yeah. Um. You're you're gonna put yourself into some serious legal bind. There is. You're not law. You're not law enforcement. You can't arrest people. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is um some serious serious implications to doing that, and uh, I I find it the the really really gray area because um. One, it seems like the field is kind of pushing more for that, especially if they're hired as an emergency manager for a corporation. Case in point, retired FBI agent uh, turned emergency manager security for, um, was it Merrill Lynch? Uh, uh, the Twin tower Towers. And he implemented um, evacuations. He did all these things that he knew of both from an emergency management perspective and from a law enforcement perspective. And out of the 1200 employees, when the towers went down, it was like something like six people had died. And he was one of the six because he went back in because Richard, Richard Scler Scler Oh my gosh. The professor reaches out again with the name. Yeah. yeah. So by the way, that's your nickname from now on the professor, but like, <laughs> Like that, that, that's a call out, right? So it, it's just a really gray area. And I would say if you're an emergency manager and you're like, yeah, I want to be the guy who stops the active shooter. 
Okay, first of all, there's a lot more things you can do than carrying a weapon. And space will save your lives and other lives more than trying to take them out, uh, especially by yourself. But I would say, you know, again, emergency manager guy here. Emergency managers are more humanitarians. And emergency managers should stay humanitarians. And if you want to get more into the protective side, go through the police academy. Um, you know, go, there, there, there would have to be so much more regulation and training, certifications, licenses, as you know, as we talked about a little bit. Um, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it worries me a little bit for the field of like one, how the world is going, the public perception, and um, if that becomes kind of the, the, the policy standard then these people who come out of college and they're like, wait, you want to, you want me to do what? Like, yeah, we want you to get like a, you know, a carry, a carry, um, license, you know, certificate. Well, I mean, here's, here's one thing on that. And, and, and I'll sound, it's gonna sound like I'm waffling on this, but I, I'm not because they're getting trained. So in places like the inner cities of certain places, like Philadelphia, I think was one of them. Um, I know, I'll try to think of the other cities doing it. I can't think off the top of my head. But they, they're training their firefighters um, as well and their EMTs to carry because it's just gotten to the point to where, um, especially after this uh, the summer of violence that we've had, uh, to where their, their, their lives are being put on the line. But they're not using those firearms um, for enforcement. They're using them for self-protection, mm. right? And I, I think that there's, there's a huge difference between using a firearm for self-protection, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm, like I'm pro, I'm pro firearm guy. I'm a second amendment guy. I, I believe that I believe in the constitution. I state, you know what I mean? I think that, that people have the right to carry. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hate the fact that some, um, uh, cities and, and, and states are, are very restrictive on that. Um, but that's, that's a whole nother story. But the point is, is that I also am very, very, very much is if you are going to use firearms, you need to go through training. Yes. It is not, you just go buy, it's not driving, I mean, let's just say not driving a car, but it's not, you go into the store, you're buying it, and then now you know how to use it. No, that's how people get hurt or killed, right? They need to go through training. You know how many hours of training that I had in firearms when I was in the military? You know what I mean? Hours upon hours. Every, we, we had to shoot once a month, we had to go court, or we had to qualify uh, every, I think it was like every three months or six months, I forget what it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, 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 we didn't just go like, Hey, here's your gun. Slap them on the back of the head. And then towards the other side of the field. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's the thing on the bottom makes it go. Right. No, no. We, I mean, there's, there's been hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of training that, that everybody goes through, you know? So, um, so yeah. So if you're going to carry a gun, be trained, but that's, that's, that's that on, on this. Um, but if it's for self-protection, I, I get it. If it's for, if it's for trying to be, the, the hero, um, you know, not so much, you know. Oh. Um, that's, well, that's, 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 firefighters that's, are targets. I mean, they were targets in St. Louis. Um, emergency managers, we, we we could be a target too. So it is something to think about. Like I said, it's a very gray area. It's a lot more thought process that has to do uh, deal with it. But my I, argument I, is as long as FEMA stays with an DHS, which is another major discussion, um, I, you're I, always I going to have this gray area. Because they are law enforcement, and um, you know we're humanitarians, so like you're you're always going to have this gray area from here on out. But I'll say I'll say one thing about the last thing about firearms is that I wouldn't want to see it as a mandate to where you have to carry. You know what I mean? 
I, I, but I would like to see it to where it's less restrictive for somebody who is in emergency management to be able to get their concealed carry permit. Yeah. A permit. I was trying to think of the word earlier. I said, sir, I said license. It's permit. Thank you. Uh, my, the name uh, was escaping me. Well, <laughs> I think it's a, uh, I think it's effective to say that we've covered every large uh, topic with an emergency management uh, for, you know, for our field in this one hour conversation. Except for we need to remove FEMA from DHS. But oh my gosh, we got to talk about that. There's, <laughs> it is what it is. All right. That's, that's what it is right now. It is what it is. But, uh, <laughs> Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Like it's been really fun. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So high level discussion here with Todd DeVoe again, check out his podcast EM weekly. We got into some of the, the fun weeds, the, 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 the controversial topics here a little bit on this episode. And I think it's good to talk, talk about this. I think it's good to address it and to say like, okay, let, let's look at the either side of the coin here again, just like to recap, we talked about goal setting for 2021. We talked about how to increase your career and how to do a little bit better there. And, um, you know, always be learning, and then we kind of went into some of those those major topics, right? Of whether it's controversial or not, but like, should you get your CEM? There's a pro and there's a con there. Should you, uh, you know, have a firearm? There's a pro and a con there. And so your whole career as an emergency manager will always be about hard calls and pros and cons. And just like this episode, that's what you're going to have to face. And it's not going to be two guys on a podcast talking, you're going to be at a disaster, a wildfire, and you're going to have to make a call for how many people evacuate. There's a pro and a con there. And there, you're going to deal with that a lot in your career. So this is a good exercise for you guys today just to see kind of how that worked out. And most importantly, as you're moving forward in your career and you're trying to think of 2021, don't be afraid of failure. Be able to make a call, whether you're pro or against a topic, go for it. Do all the research you can Read a book every week if you can, even if it's on 150 pages. Some people are going to be rolling their eyes out there thinking like, I can't do that a year. But just do that. Do do your research, make a choice, and move forward, and we'll have your back. And, of course, if you're following Todd DeVoe on his show, The EM Weekly, and you're listening to this one, make sure that you subscribe. Give us that five-star rating, which we uh, always love. And uh, we would love to hear more about your feedback. If you want to give us a shout out or, or talk to us, you can always reach out to us on our Instagram channel, Disaster Tough Podcast. And if you want to work with the Doberman Emergency Management Group, you're hearing some things that you like, you need an emergency manager to help you out, uh, you can contact us at info at DobermanEMG.com. Again, that's info at DobermanEMG.com. 